Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. All right, well, let's uh, shift the interview. Now you can interview me. Yeah, so thanks, Greg. I wanted to spend the rest of our time kind of interviewing you about this trip to Israel. And um, so uh, I think you know, but just so everybody knows, I was really disappointed that my wife and I couldn't go with you this time. Hope we can go again in uh, uh, the next time you go or sometime in the future. Um, and I think, uh, as I understand, you've been there before uh, years ago, because I remember seeing pictures of you as a younger guy in some of those sites. And then you Way were- Way younger. And yeah, right. You had very different hairstyle and you were uh, out there and, but, but you had gone before with other people leading the trip. And then this was your chance to uh, lead the trip. Maybe you could spend just a second on that. And before I get to your day by day itinerary, I want to ask you about everything, but how did it come about that you actually got a chance to lead this kind of trip? Well, this was my third trip to Israel. The first one, as you mentioned, happened when I was in my mid twenties. And I had the mullet hair hairstyle, and I was I, I looked very very different. I was actually went and spent three weeks in Israel with my seminary professor, uh, my Hebrew professor, and that was that was great. I mean, it was like a class, an on site class. I mean, we had homework and all kinds of preparation, but since we were there for three weeks, it was it was pretty cool. All the places we were able to go. About a year ago, I went with our church, with the pastor, founding pastor of our church, and he announced this was going to be his last trip. And I said, uh, I think I would like to come back. So he helped me kind of uh, uh, get me launched to lead my own trip. And so essentially, I led a trip just this past January or February. Um, well, we started end of the very last day of January of 14 people to the Holy Land. And it was amazing. I mean, Jim, I can't, it's really hard for me to describe how it just makes the Bible come alive when you go to Israel and you get to go to all these places. And even though I'd gone on almost, you could say the exact same trip I went the year before, I was so excited to go back. And even after experiencing and and now i'm even more excited to go back again really yeah yeah i mean it's just um there's something about it that is that is really special and it was a unique experience this this year because like you said i was kind of leading some devotionals at, at the various sites that's a real privilege to do that but it's just an, an amazing amazing experience so so we this was like a Eight, a 10 day trip, essentially eight days in the country. And we spent, we stayed at three different hotels. The first hotel, we only stay for one night because we're kind of on our way up to Galilee. We fly into Tel Aviv and we want to get up to Galilee. So we go just a little bit, you know, part of the way. And along the way, on day one, we stop at Jaffa, which is, um, that's the name of the city, you know, today. But it actually, in the Bible, it's the it's the town of Joppa, 
Hmm. And are you familiar with, have you heard that name Joppa before? Joppa is the one that's associated with Jonah. Jonah. Yeah. That's the, the seaport that he goes to when he's like running away from the Lord. So we actually go to that seaport and it's the coolest thing. I mean, here you're walking around and I mean, somewhat of a modern, it's not really, it's hard to describe. It's like, it's, it's stone buildings, which are very, very old, but yet it's a very modern, you know, city cars are driving all, all around us. Yeah. We were at this um, ancient seaport called Joppa, which is the, 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 the place where Jonah boarded a ship to try to run away from the Lord. So at one point I read part of J Jonah chapter one, to the group. And then we just kind of discuss what it's like to, to think that here we are in, in, in a very, the very place that the Bible talks about. And by the way, I should, I should put this in context because one of the reasons I wanted to go to Israel, even like over 30 years ago was because I had an English professor in college who did not like Christians and she took advantage several times during the semester I had her just slamming the Bible, just basically making comments that it was made up, that it's fictional, none of it's true. And so that that's you know that that made an impression on me. It didn't shake my faith, but it made me want to go to Israel for that first time. Mm. And yeah. I think even even to this day, like it's one of the reasons I'm excited to to go back and to take people. The thing for me now is like I I'm also sad that you weren't able to go. I want to take my friends there because mm -hmm. it's just such a it's it's a hard to explain experience. It just changes the way you read the Bible forever. You know, Greg, I want to I want to go through some of these cities and their towns like almost play by play with you. We'll take some time to kind of explore that in the spiritual lessons, but just in what you're saying right now, the way that teacher was saying it's all just fairy tales and made up. I think, you know, as a Christian, sometimes you read the Bible and it talks about this place and that place and that place. And as you don't know the place, you kind of skip over it. So they stopped at this place and yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't, it's a, a name that's in maybe a different language like Hebrew. You don't know, you've got to gloss over it. But I remember like in, you know, the study that you and I are in looking at things like, for example, in the book of Acts, by the way, it's so geographical. And so much of the Bible is so anchored in real geography. So if you look at like Paul's journeys, he'll say, I went to this place and that place. Then the boat put into this place. We stopped at the harbor of that place. And they're all real places. Yes. Not, it's not just like, and I think when you're, I think of it sometimes, I think maybe I'm still guilty of this, Greg. You still read it like a kid's fairy tale book. Like it's, you know, Jesus born in a manger in Bethlehem in a far, far place in a galaxy far, far away. Like, right. it's, it's not a real town in a real right. place. And then you also think that those places don't exist anymore or you can't, yeah. you know, they, you know, they've been long destroyed and some of them have. But, um, you know, Joppa, I mean, that that is, you know, Jonah is like thousands of years old, you know, I mean, yeah. uh, uh, several thousand years when when that happened with Jonah but that same place that same uh city Joppa is mentioned in Acts chapter 10 and I just want to read it says at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment he and all his family were devout and God-fearing he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly one day about three in the afternoon he had a vision 
And he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa. Okay, so send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now here's, here's, here's the coolest thing. They actually think that they know we, we might, and, and some of these sites are, you know, authentic sites, which means we know that this is where it took place. And some are, you know, maybe less certain. And this yeah. may be one of the less certain ones, but there's there's a place in Joppa that our guide took us to. And it's right by the sea, just like the Bible describes it. It might be Simon the Tanner's house. Hmm. And this is the same house that Peter was staying at who this angel told Cornelius in, in the town of Caesarea to send for him. We're literally standing outside the door of this, this house. Yeah. And yeah. because it's, because it's, you know, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years has been identified as Simon, the Tanner's house. It actually says Simon, the Tanner on top of it. Okay. But even if it's not his house, if that's not the exact house, what you don't what you come to realize is think about how close you are to what his where his real house was anyway that's right maybe it's the house it, next door it could right? be you're in the neighborhood right and when Simon it, Peter walked right and just like you were just saying you know you read through these when you read the bible you skip over a lot of these names and stuff because they don't mean anything to you but right. if if you go to Joppa and you go to Simon the Tanner's house you'll never read acts chapter 10 the same way because yeah. and plus you can picture it you can actually picture how his house was right on the sea because you can see the sea behind it and, and hear the waves and you can think about him being a tanner so he worked with unclean animals and then mm. you you put you start picturing like okay so peter was already he was staying with a guy with that was dealing with unclean animals so the gospel was already working in his in his life because some of the biases he grew up with, he he was setting aside because of his because of the impact Jesus had on him. Wow, I never thought of that. Never thought of that before. But I, I was gonna. I want to ask you, standing there, like outside the house or in the, in the doorway or whatever, that must make that passage come alive to you in a way you've never thought of before, right? I mean, it's got to feel so real to you. It, it does. I mean, it it. It, it just makes you so ex excited. Like, I can't wait to go back there. And I hope I get the opportunity to go there with you and, and say, look, where it's, you know, I mean, I can remember this year when I read that passage, like I was, I mean, inside my heart, I was jumping up and down. I don't think I was literally jumping up and down, but I was like, we're in Joppa. We're in Joppa. We're, you know, soak it in. Like you're actually in Joppa right now, real close to where, this took place so you can start envisioning and this is what i love about the bible is there's so much it's so historically accurate it's unbelievable yeah, yeah. so i'm going to jump ahead and tell you that Wait, the before next you do like, okay. right before you do i just because we were talking about the book before and it's talking about people that made the shift and didn't make the shift and writing about or seeing the bible in the holy light because this the illustration 
uh, I just was polishing off a chapter on uh, on Jonah um, and write about how he uh, he actually never did make the shift uh, to see it because I don't want to go back into detail about now in great detail, but um, I, I just was meditating. So writing about the book of Jonah not too long ago uh, this week. And uh, I can imagine having if you're if you're there at Joppa, how much more that would just come alive to you because it feels so real when your feet have actually walked or their feet walked. Yeah, you can actually like think about Jonah coming to this city and how he's running away from God, and he's and you can see the ships. You can you, you know you can picture ships, and you can see evidence that this was a major port. Yeah, you know, ancient port, like an ancient port, not not a you know new port. Right, and right. you can just picture the ships being there and him jumping on the ship and all that happening it's just it's just unbelievable but then yeah. <laughs> here's another thing the next day so we're heading up and we're going through uh Caesarea and um there's another interesting uh passage that um really comes to life and it's again in the book of acts it's in acts chapter 12 and um we go to these ancient ruins from Herod, um, from Herod's time. Um, and we go to this place that um, this kind of um, amphitheater that Herod built. And it's exactly the place where in Acts chapter 12, in verses 20 to 24, and I'll just read it real quick. It talks about, oh, I'll just start in verse 21. On, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, I mean, that's a kind of obscure passage, but the, oh, I the, remember cool, it. the cool thing about it is we actually know where that takes took place and and we actually go to the auditorium and we can we know the spot where where Herod probably was when all this and you can just picture you know hundreds of people around him shouting this you know that he's you know a god and you get to see this his architecture is just amazing i mean he he was extravagant buildings yeah. and we see the ruins of those buildings but this this amphitheater is intact i mean you actually walk and you can sit in it and you can you can see the the spot the very spot where where this event took place wow wow hey greg were a lot of the ruins like intact like that you're like you're describing an amphitheater where we actually sit in the seats or were some of them just some you know, hard to understand, hard to say. Some rocks, you say, yeah, that's supposed to be the house of somebody you can't really picture, where a lot of them really like in pretty good shape or pretty, you know, fully formed like an amphitheater that you could very- Well, I think one of the cool things, that, I think one of the cool things about this experience and specifically this trip that that uh, we take people on is that it's varied. Like you see, you can see sort of what you're talking about where they're just now like uncovering stuff like and they're current, trying to like figure out- recent dig. Yeah, yeah, like Magdala, for example, the the town of Mary. Actually, Mary Magdala is her last name is not necessarily Magdala. She's Mary of Magdala. She was oh, really? from the town of Magdala. Yeah, she was from the town of Magdala. There's a whole town that they discovered because they were building a hotel, and then they came across. They found 
a synagogue there and is probably a synagogue that Jesus taught in. When we go to that site, I read the passage in Luke chapter eight, you know, where it talked about how these women were following Jesus and supporting him with uh, out of their own means. And there's some some wealthy women listed there, but Mary of Magdala is mentioned. Uh, Mary Magdalene is mentioned as one of those women who he cast out seven demons. Right. And so again, that is like, they just recently discovered that it is just amazing. And, and you can just, you know, that Jesus was in that, was there in that town. Another interesting place that we went to, and I'm going to jump. I mean, there's so many. Well, don't skip Nazareth. Did you go to Nazareth? We did go to Nazareth. Did you go to the Nazareth? Is supposedly the, the the precipice where they're going to throw Jesus off, and he goes back to preach there, the, to his hometown. And at first, they like him a lot. Then they get really angry with him because he starts talking about their sin. They're going to throw him off a cliff. Yeah, see that part? Did you? Yeah, we. I mean, we saw that from a distance. But the cool thing about Nazareth is just that you get a feel for what a small town Nazareth was, and how. If you remember the conversation in John chapter one between Philip and Nathaniel, yeah, um, it says the next day Jesus des- decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said, "Follow me." Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, "Hey, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph." And then you remember what Nathaniel says, Nazareth. That's right. Right. And anything good come from there? Nathaniel <laughs> asks, come and see. Well, part of the reason he said that is because Nazareth was such a small town. And, and it still is kind of a small town. Um, and so you really get to, you get a feel for like, yeah, I mean, it was just, he was from this, like, t- he grew up in this kind of tiny, tiny town and uh, that nobody, you know, but then, but then listen to this. It says, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Well, how do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus said, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. Have you ever wondered what, what that meant when he said, yeah, I sure. saw you under the fig tree? What was happening when he said, I mean, what was he doing under the fig tree? Right. And there's lots well, of interpretations of that or speculation. First of all, fig trees, you see them all over Israel. And yeah. so, again, the language of the Bible, like we read it, I don't have any fig trees in my yard. Do you have any in your yard? No. <laughs> Probably not. But but you can see these these fig trees are just around, you know. But the phrase, I saw you under a fig tree, it turns out is like an idiom that meant it's an idiom of a idiom of a person who is studying the messianic passages about the messiah really yeah so that's why that's why he has such a dramatic so one of the guys who went on the trip with me is a doctor from Youngstown and he when when I read this passage he brought that up and the tour guide she had never heard that but then we hmm. did um, we did some research, and it turns out that it was it was kind of a common idiom of a person that was studying specifically the passages in the Jewish Bible about the Messiah. 
Interesting. A little bit like the Ethiopian eunuch was doing when he was going in the book of Acts, another right. passage. Right. right. We try to trying desperately to find the Messiah, understand the Messiah. I'm sure it was common people searching like crazy to find out, understand the Messiah when he was coming and that's the signs why, of it coming. Right. So that's why in the next verse, Nathaniel says, he declares, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Yeah. That's why he went he went from saying Nazareth, how can anything good come from there? Yeah. To saying you are the son of God. Right. You know. So why did why was the response so dramatic? It was because um when Jesus said that to him, I always thought it that like he was sitting under the fig tree and like, you know, I don't know what he was doing under the fig tree, but it was like Jesus said, I I see, you know, I saw you, I saw what you did there, I saw what you, you know. Yeah, like you're doing something wrong there, and I saw right. everything you did. Uh, right, like I. Caught but it you turns out, it turns out he was, you know, he he basically is, Jesus is saying, I know you've been studying the scriptures about the Messiah. Yeah, and I and I I, I see you doing that, and that's wow. that's that's why I'm calling you to follow me. Wow. You know? So and then you know Jesus says, "You believe because I said I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that." Very truly, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's right. Which recently I brought that up when I was talking about Jacob and how Jacob saw a ladder that a stairway that came started from heaven and came to earth. The idea that uh, um, we don't we can't build a ladder up to God, but God has to come down to us. But here Jesus expounds on that and says, "I am the ladder." That's um, right. You you know I am I am the way the bridge God. the connection the bridge between heaven and earth right yeah he's the only way yeah so so that was Nazareth okay that's great that's great I was just um, I, I'm glad to hear your thoughts on Nazareth I do remember we were studying it together looking at how people in Judea like let me see if I get this right but right around Jerusalem they look down the nose of people on Galilee like a little bit farther north. But the Galileans themselves needed someone to look for them to look down their nose at, and that was Nazareth. So you think about any any community of people that you look down your nose at. Within that community of people, they also need something to look, someone to look down their nose at, some backwater place that they think is the lowest, lowest, lower than them. Yeah, and by and the way, when 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 he's referred to as Jesus of Nazareth, the other thing to remember is that was actually they were actually intentionally trying to discount him because he yeah, wasn't wow. jesus from nazareth he was jesus from bethlehem well right right he was, he born was bethlehem. jesus from bethlehem why didn't they call him jesus from bethlehem suburban, because, because that would that would Jerusalem. that would put him in line that would put connect him to those messianic passages that right. the savior is going to come out of bethlehem so they intentionally right. called him jesus of nazareth um as a way to be like this guy's not you know, he's nothing special. He's from Nazareth. Well, that's, and one of them says, search the scriptures. No prophet comes out of Galilee, right? I mean, they're... Right. Uh, it's part of the, 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 the biblical narrative that puts the look down their nose at the Galileans. Right. But uh, he wasn't, right, he wasn't from Nazareth. He was from from Bethlehem, suburban Jerusalem, right? So um, yeah. higher status than Nazareth, but uh, fulfilling the biblical prophecies, even more importantly, that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's really, that's all really great stuff, Greg. We're just, I'm what, day two or three, I think. I know, I know. 
So, um, what about the Sea of Galilee? What was that like? I mean, it's I, I've seen that's pictures. One of my, it seems like a bigger sea than. Oh well, yeah, it, that's it one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite places. I mean, like I'm excited to. Uh, it's just I don't know. It's such a special place because of um, all that took place there. So much of Jesus's ministry happened around Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee, and so one of one of the coolest things that I'm even looking forward to next year, Lord willing, if planning on going back next year, is going out on a boat on the Sea of Galilee with a group, hmm. and then we, you know, we. Um, the Sea of Galilee is probably eight miles wide and 13 miles long. So okay. it's actually a lake. It's a freshwater lake. Some of the scriptures call it the Lake of Gennesaret. Okay. But, but it's also, I should mention that the day before we went out on the lake, the lake had a storm. Like it was, really? it was crazy, crazy wind and rain, um, like horizontal rain happening the day before we went out on the lake. And so I actually talked to some guy in the hotel, same hotel we were staying at, who went out on the lake in the storm. In a boat? And, and he said it was, it was, it was, it was nuts. He said the waves were, were, the, the boat was just, you know, constantly going up and down and we were kind of laughing about it because he, he, he was like, it was, you know, I was, I was scared. And I Why was like, he just wanted to experience a storm on the sea of Galilee as a, well, they, they just took the group out. Like, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there's some conditions where they would actually say it's not safe to take the group out, but they took oh, the it group was, out. It was a scheduled tour. It was rock. a scheduled tour. Like <laughs> that could have been us. That could have been us. Right. But we were the next day. And fortunately for us, it was like, very calm, like calm. And, and, and so again, you don't, you know, you read these stories of how Jesus stilled the, the, the storm and how, um, you know, the waves, they think they're going to drown and it's hard to picture it until you're there. And you can see that one day, you know, the day before we were on the sea of Galilee, there were storms and yeah. crazy waves. The next day it was like calm as glass. Wow. And, uh, but one of my favorite things to do on that is to read the passage where, you know, Jesus is walking on the water and then Peter's in the boat and, and Peter says, Hey, if it's you, you know, tell me to come out on the water. And so Peter starts walking on the water. And yes, so I yes. shared like seven lessons from Peter walking on the water. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You want to hear what they are? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Just, I'll just, I'll just briefly mention them. And we didn't read the passage, but I think most people understand. If you want to read the passage, it's in Matthew chapters, chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. So the seven lessons, the first one is that we need to look, look for Jesus and keep looking to Jesus. Yeah. We need to look for Jesus, but then keep looking to Jesus. The idea that we, you know, when P Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he started to sink. Mm-hmm. So and and it kind of goes along with being gospel artists. We need to keep looking at Jesus. Amen. We need, to, we need to keep, you know, we don't just look at him, find him, and then stop looking at him. Right. So second one is when Jesus commands you, you obey him. Mm. So you know he's Jesus commanded him and told him to come come out to get out of the boat, and Peter did that. The third lesson is faith is simply taking the next step. 
what we don't focus on is that Peter did walk on the water. Yeah, amazing. He actually did walk on the water. I mean, <laughs> exactly. he made a couple he made a couple good steps, right? right? Right. And then he took his eyes off Jesus and he started to sink. And that's the fourth lesson is that fear will sink you. Mm. Fear will sink you. And the reason he got fearful is because he took his eyes off Jesus. Yeah. And then the fifth lesson, and these all kind of overlap, is that Jesus saves you from many things. Hmm. You know? And I think that if if you and I reflect on our Christian life, we will say that Jesus saved us from many things. And so in the, in that story, you know, let's assume that at this point, Peter is a follower of Jesus and, you know, he's his he has salvation. Jesus reached down when he was sinking. Jesus saved him again. Yeah. He saved him physically, you know, from drowning, but he also saves him spiritually. Right. So I think that the lesson there is that how many, how we need to take time to reflect of, reflect on all the different ways Jesus has saved us. I mean, you could say, you know, maybe you had a, you, you almost got married to another girl and that girl Absolutely. would have just ruined your life. Absolutely. You know, right. and you, so you right. can, so you can be like, Jesus saved me from that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Actually, it's funny because Tim Keller talks about that sometimes as uh, that exact circumstance. Yeah, but you get and all that, kinds of ways. You're right, Greg. All kinds of ways that Jesus is saving you. Even though you're saved, you're you're eternally, but He's saving you from all kinds of things. And and praise the Lord, He saves saves all of us from really bad, horrific decisions we might otherwise make. So, right. And so then the sixth lesson is that a little faith is better than no faith. Hmm. You know, we we struggle with like, well, I don't have enough faith to do that. Well, yeah. You don't have to have a lot of faith. You just have to have a little faith. Yeah. And then the final lesson is that you can choose to worry or worship. And at the end of that passage, you know, Peter worships him. You can worry about the waves and every and all your surroundings, all the things happening around you, or you can just worship, worship God. So anyway, sharing, you know, a devotional like that on the Sea of Galilee is an incredible experience. I mean, it's just hard to describe, you know, it's just, we're out there all by ourselves. It just makes the Bible come alive. So that's one of my, that's one of my highlights. Yeah. That's gotta be incredible, both for you as a, a leader of the kind of study and for people like listening and meditating on those passages and thinking about it being right there where all these things actually happen. Yes. Yeah. So there's so much, I mean, we, 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 we visited so many different places. Um, another highlight for me was going to the Jordan river and baptizing people in the Jordan yeah, tell river. Me about that. You told me, you started telling me about that, but how, how did that come about? What, what happened there? We asked my group, if any, anybody wants to be baptized, like maybe a renewal of your baptism vows. And it turned out that four people from my group wanted to be baptized, and two of them had never been baptized before. Oh, wow. Yeah, two, two, a couple from our church, actually, wow. had never been baptized before. So it was a great honor. Again, if you're going to get baptized for the first time, what an amazing place to get baptized oh, yeah. in the Jordan River. Yeah. You know, so they have a a place that pilgrims 
go and they have it all set up for us, you know, for, for these baptism. We did like a little worship service beforehand. We sang amazing grace. We, I read the passage where Jesus was baptized by John. And uh, if you remember like John's like, you know, kind of like, I don't want, why, you know, I, you should baptize me. I shouldn't baptize you. But then Jesus says, no, you you need to do it to fulfill all righteousness. And so I talked, I, I shared a devotional about that. Like, you know, four, four reasons why Jesus was baptized by John. And so I talked about how, you know, it was an affirmation of John's ministry for Jesus to be baptized by him. It also signaled the start of Jesus's own ministry. That's right. But then the biggest reason is that to identify with sinners. And so I really uh-huh. kind of emphasize that point that baptism is a is a picture of of our salvation. D- dying death and resurrection. Yeah. So anyway, at the end of that experience, and that was a that was a great experience. Climbing out, I was walking up the steps to go change because I'm like soaking wet, obviously. And I this couple comes up to me and they're like strangers, and they say, uh, "Hey, do you know a pastor?" And I was like, "Well, I'm a pastor." And they're <laughs> like, "Well, would you baptize us?" I look around. I'm like, "Sure, why not?" And, and, uh, so of course I wanted to hear their story and, you know, if they, I wanted to hear their faith story and make sure that they were true believers and, and they, they were, they were solid. Um, the, the husband was originally from India. They, uh, are married couple from Arizona. So long story short, I, uh, I, I, I got to baptize two strangers. That's so cool. The, the tour guide that took us, you know, that, she she by the way is the the secret sauce of this whole trip because she's been leading tours for like 40 years and she lives in Israel and so she's just like a constant almost like a running encyclopedia so all throughout the day she's sharing different things um about where we're at details she's answering questions she just makes the trip like totally um, worth it. In fact, I I continue to learn from her the more I'm around her. Wow. So of just like the h- historical background and different things, but that really struck her because she she's like you know Greg I've been leading lots of tours. In fact, she was she was a tour guide for Tim LaHaye. If you like years and years ago, she used to be his his kind of his special tour guide. Oh wow! And she said that. Most often, she's she was impressed that I would baptize those two people. Um, I was like, why wouldn't I do that? Like, you know, but I can understand people that lead bigger groups. They they there's logistical reasons why they wouldn't have time to do it, or you know. Um, yeah. Then we also go to, and there's so many places we go. There's no way we're going to mention them all. But we go to the place called Engedi, um, which is really cool. It's like a waterfall. And it's really close to where David, remember when in 1 Samuel 24, where David flees from Saul. Yeah. And then he has a chance to kill Saul because yeah, Saul case, is, right? went into, yeah, Saul went into a cave to use the bathroom and David crawls up and cuts his robe. And then David he feels, was already hiding in that very cave, right? And David was in that cave. And uh, then David feels guilty that he even cut his robe. And, uh, but anyway, 
So we go to that place in Getty and we, and I was able to read the story and uh, we were able to just like share kind of our different thoughts. And again, you kind of, you can see the caves, you can see uh, the, um, you can, you can imagine what it was like, you know, for David and Saul both to be there and, and for that experience. But and of course, we went to Masada, we went to Qumran and saw the caves where the Dead Sea Scrolls were were found and s swam in the Dead Sea, which is one of my favorite things to do, too, because it's the What's lowest. That like? Oh, man, it's hard to describe. It's 10 times saltier than the ocean. So it's almost um, you can float on your stomach, basically. It's just the weirdest experience. It's supposed to be really healthy for your, your skin and stuff. Yeah. I love it every time. I'm like, I'm almost like running down to the beach to, uh, to, to get in there and, and make the most, I was getting nervous that day actually, because our time was getting shorter and shorter. And I was like, Oh man, if we don't, I'm, I'm going to be so disappointed if we don't get that chance to go down there. And I hope you get to experience it, but it's the lowest, lowest place on earth, the lowest place on earth. And it's the saltiest body of water on earth. And, I want to be sensitive to our time here, Jim. We're, we're, I want to hear uh, one more one more thing. I want to hear about the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives. Yeah, I think in the whole trip, I was, I was yeah. just, your first time about the going up there and the, um, the itinerary, that's just one thing I was really looking forward to. We are in uh, kind of... The Mount of Olives, like the day after we get into Jerusalem, we get into Jerusalem on the e like in the evening, we drive into Jerusalem and we stop at Mount Scopus, which is a popular place where you can oversee the whole city. And we read one of the Psalms of Ascent there and um, say a prayer for, you know, Jerusalem, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But then the next morning, we go to the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is a really cool place. Obviously, Jesus did a lot of teaching there, but for me, it's the Garden of Gethsemane that is the is the most. Oh, um, wow. You went to the Garden of Gethsemane, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we actually, there's two Garden of Gethsemanes. There's a public one that is open to everybody. And then there's a private garden that you can rent out. And um, as part of our tour, we rent that private garden for an hour. And so we had the whole garden to ourselves. And you can... So I would I read the passage about you know the you know the prayers yeah when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and they, the disciples couldn't stay awake right and then um, then I kind of just sent us all out encouraged people to just you know spend time in prayer and and meditation and you can walk around this garden there's places you can sit but you really and some of the trees and the the olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane they say might be 2000 years old. Oh my goodness. Like they're the, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely um, very close to 2000 years old. So they could be the original trees. Wow. That were there during the time of Christ. Wow. But just going, being there and we kind of walk, we start at the top of the Mount of Olives and we make our descent down kind of the way Jesus did. When he mourns over Jerusalem, I don't know if you remember that passage. I do. He does that from the Mount of Olives. That's the triumphal entry. 
he does that from the Mount of Olives. So we kind of walk that path and it takes us down to the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, I mean, that's just uh, definitely one of the highlights. And then then the whole the whole trip kind of caps off with um, going to the Garden Tomb, which oh. could could be the actual tomb that Jesus was buried in. And it's real close to Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. And there's two, there's two potential locations where that happened, and you can, see, and we get to see both of them. One of them, the church is built over it, called the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. Another one is literally a bus stop, which I think is the more likely location, and it's real close to this garden tomb. But in the in in the garden tomb, we. Um, we we had our own like little room almost like the upper room and we were able to like you know read the passages about the resurrection and talk about um the importance of the resurrection and and sing songs and and we just had the, this great like sharing time wait inside the tomb we we actually do get to go in the, you do get to go in the tomb yeah um, but yeah no the inside the tomb it's very small so oh, only funny. a few people could get in there at one time, but you can see, and and whether or not it's the exact tomb, nobody knows. But it's certainly, it's it makes a lot of sense that it could be because of how close it is to the to the to where Jesus was crucified, and that the way the tomb is set up and the way it's described in the Bible, it it, it very well could be the the actual tomb. But if it's not, you get an idea of exactly what kind of, what it was like, how Jesus would have been laying there and how you could go in and see and how, you know, the different accounts, again, they just kind of come alive because you get to experience it. Yeah, Jim, I mean, I want to go back. I'm, I'm actually planning. I'm in the final planning stages of nailing down the next year's trip i think it's going to be january 8th through the 17th in 2024 hmm, okay we'll keep our so, list posted i guess as your time's kind of firm up and yeah that but well it's just so cool greg and i think uh, we can kind of maybe wrap up with that but just as you're describing these things i'm thinking how again how it connects the geography the things you've read about in the bible and with actually being there just the last story you're telling about how the tomb and what it's like and how people would have poked their head. I'm thinking about the women who went there saw uh, Jesus was not there and Mary meets Jesus in the garden. Then they run and tell the disciples, all those things are physical things that happen in real space and time. And you can't, if you're there, you see it, you say, Oh, this is what it would have been like to stand here and then run to where the disciples are and put that together in a real way that, you can't unless you kind of go there and see it for yourself. So thanks for sharing this whole, this, all these details, Greg, it's just fantastic. Oh, you're welcome. And I would encourage all of our listeners, if they get the opportunity to visit the Holy land, to do it, I believe it will only strengthen your faith in Jesus. Thanks for listening to this episode of the gospel addict podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospel addict podcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode, and remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace, and on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.